Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Our sermon text for this morning is uh, Revelation chapter 5, and I will read the entirety of that chapter. John is writing. He says, I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to book, open the book or to look into it. And I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the ancient ones said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw in the midst of the throne and in the middle of the four living creatures and the ancient ones a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he came, and he took it out of the right from the right of the one who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the twenty-four ancient ones fell before the lamb, having each one a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seals. For thou wast slain and didst purchased for God with thy blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And thou hast made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will, be, they will reign upon the earth. And I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the ancient ones. And the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the ancient ones fell down and worshipped. Let's pray together. Almighty God, our Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is the ascended lamb, that he has taken the book and he has opened its seals. We thank you that you have granted your spirit to him so that that spirit could go out into the earth and that spirit could dwell in us. We pray as we consider this portion of your word today that you would lead us to be better, more diligent followers of the lamb and overcome as he has overcome through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. John sees an open door in the sky, and a voice like a trumpet invites him to go through the door and enter into heaven. And by the power of that voice and by the Spirit, John ascends through the door and finds himself in the presence of God. He sees a throne and one who is enthroned. The enthroned one looks like he's made of jasper and sardius. He looks like precious stones. He's sparkling as if he were gemstone. And specifically, he's sparkling like the gemstones 
of Benjamin and Judah, the two royal tribes of Israel. John sees pure enthronement, pure kingship sitting on the throne of heaven. From the throne come thunders and lightnings, crashes and sounds. The Lord of heaven, the one who is enthroned, is the Lord of Sinai, who descended on Sinai and came with lightning and thunder and an earthquake. The enthroned one that John sees is the glory of the Lord that came on Sinai, the glory of the Lord that filled the most holy place, the glory of the Lord that filled the temple, the glory of the Lord that was poured out at Pentecost. Surrounding the throne, he sees a rainbow. Remember the rainbow back from the flood account in the book of Genesis. The Lord said he was going to put the rainbow in the clouds so that when he, the Lord, saw the rainbow, he would remember his promise. The rainbow is not there primarily for us, but it's for God. And now we find out that he can't look anywhere without seeing the rainbow. The Lord looks at the world through rainbow-colored glasses. Everywhere he looks, the rainbow is the lens through which he looks at his world. He can't forget his covenant. His promises before him all the time. Around the throne are 24 ancient ones. The, your Bibles probably translate that as elder. It's presbyteroi, the word from which we get presbyter or presbytery, presbyterian. But it means one who, an ancient one. These are the angels in heaven sitting on thrones surrounding the one throne of the enthroned one. The one on the throne is sheer kingship. He is the Lord of lords and king of kings. He is enthronement itself. And yet he is so unthreatened by others sharing his authority that his, his throne radiates out into 24 thrones that surround him. If you or I were on a throne, we would want to hoard that authority. We want to keep it to ourselves. This is not the enthroned one that John sees on the throne of heaven. The one on the throne of heaven is no hoarder. He's not envious. He doesn't protect his own turf. He doesn't keep kingship for himself. He enhances his kingship by bestowing kingship. He increases his glory by bestowing glory. His throne is surrounded by 24 thrones with angelic ancient ones sitting on them. His throne is made up of four living creatures. The four living creatures are in the midst of the throne and also surrounding the throne. The implication of that is that they make up the throne itself. The enthroned one is sitting on a throne made up of cherubim, the four-faced cherubim that Ezekiel saw in his vision when the Lord's chariot showed up in Babylon. John has gone through a door in heaven, and he's entered the heavenly sanctuary. He's entered the heavenly temple, and everything that he sees in this heavenly temple has some correspondence with the earthly temple of Solomon and the earthly temple of the first century. John sees a throne, and there was a throne at the very heart of the temple, the Ark of the Covenant, the cherub throne of the Lord, where the Lord was enthroned in his glory. He sees lamps burning before the throne, seven lamps like the lampstand in the holy place. And these seven lamps are not, it's not a gold lampstand, and these lamps are not burning with fire, but these are the original fire of God, the seven spirits of God. In the courtyard of the temple, there was a great sea, a bronze sea. And before the Lord's throne in heaven, there's a sea like crystal stretching out before the throne. The 24 ancient ones who sit on thrones surrounding the one throne are are angelic priests who perform the services of the heavenly sanctuary, of the heavenly 
temple. There's one dramatic difference between what John would have seen if he had gone into the earthly temple and what he sees here when he enters the heavenly temple. If he had gone into the earthly temple, he would not have been able to see the throne. He would not have been able to see the cherubs who hold up the Lord's glory, that lift the Lord up on the, uh, the, uh, that lift up the Lord's glory, that bear the Lord's glory. He would not have been able to see the lampstand. He would have seen the sea because that's out in the courtyard, but there are barriers between the person in the courtyard and the lampstand in the holy place and the throne in the most holy place. John enters an undivided sanctuary, a sanctuary in heaven where the entire sanctuary has become most holy place. The entire sanctuary has become a throne room. As John enters, there's already a worship service going on. The four living creatures, the cherubim, are uh, leading this worship. They're crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And the ancient ones respond by prostrating themselves before the throne and by joining in the praise, singing the worthiness of the one who's on the throne. It's a breathtaking vision. And for John, it's a reassurance after the letters he's just received from Jesus that are going to go to the seven churches of Asia. The seven churches are under siege. Some of them are being persecuted, and John has delivered messages. He's written down messages from Jesus telling the churches that the the opposition is going to intensify. It's going to get worse. Antipas has been killed, but others are going to be killed. There are some who are following the prophetess Jezebel. There are some who are following in the ways of Balaam or the Nicolaitans. Things are bad on earth, but at least John goes up into heaven and everything's okay. Everything's as it should be. At least in heaven, there is a place of permanence and stability where he doesn't have to worry about the dangers of earth. But that would be too easy or too facile a conclusion. There is something wrong in heaven when John arrives. There's something incomplete about this heavenly temple. Something has not happened. Somebody's not there. Heaven has to be corrected. Heaven has to be perfected. As chapter 5 opens, John looks at the right of the one who sits on the throne. He expects perhaps to see a king on the right hand. The Lord said it to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. But there is no king. There is no king at the right hand. There is no son on the throne. There is no king in Zion. Instead, there's a book at the right of the enthroned one. And this book is closed. And this book is closed with seals that no one can open. They make a search in heaven, on earth, under the earth. They're looking for someone who can open the book, somebody who's worthy, somebody who's qualified to open the book. And nobody's there. Heaven has an empty throne beside the enthroned one. Instead of someone enthroned on that throne, there's a book that can't be opened. There are secrets that are being withheld. There's something that has not yet been revealed, and there's nobody there who can reveal it. John recognizes that this is a crisis in heaven, and so he begins to weep, weeping in heaven, weeping in the perfect sanctuary, lament in the midst of worship, 
Something is wrong in heaven that needs to be perfected, that needs to be corrected. What is this book? Why is this book so important? Why does John weep and lament when the book can't be opened? There are a number of different Old Testament references behind this. We read one earlier this this morning. The end of Daniel, Daniel is told that he's, he's been given these prophecies and these visions, but he's told to write down all these visions, but then to seal up the book because the time for the fulfillment of those things has not yet come. A sealed book is a sign of unfulfilled prophecy. A permanently, un, a permanently sealed book is a sign of permanently unfulfilled prophecy. John knows that if somebody doesn't come and open the book, then the visions of Daniel about the coming of the kingdom, the visions of Daniel about the ascension of the Son of Man to receive dominion, the visions of Daniel about the Son of Man's triumph over the beasts, none of that is going to happen unless the book is open. Those prophecies remain unfulfilled. Moses came down from the mountain with a book. And the book is also a kind of heavenly Torah. Moses came down with a book given to him by the Lord, the Lord of glory, who was enthroned on Sinai the way that this Lord is enthroned in heaven. But according to John, this mosaic, this heavenly Torah, is sealed up. The types and shadows of the coming of the Messiah are somehow sealed. The Torah is not yet unleashed on the world. Unless the book is opened, unless those seals can be broken, then Torah will remain a closed book. The book is a book of kingship. Josiah was coronated, standing at a pillar, holding a book. He found a book in the temple, and that book guided his reform of Judah as he destroyed all the idols. Unless there's a king in heaven with the book who can open the book, then the idols are going to continue to reign. There's not going to be another Josiah. That's what John wants. Joshua has a book. At the beginning of Joshua, Moses tells him to keep the book of the law before him all his days so that he will be prosperous and successful. The conquest depends on Joshua having an open book with him. If there's a closed book in heaven, then there are territories that are going to go unconquered. There is no Joshua to open the book and to lead the conquest. An unopened book is unfulfilled prophecy, unleashed Torah. An unopened book means that there is no king, there is no conqueror in heaven. Our initial impression of a permanent a permanent heaven that's always already as it should be was too easy. Heaven has a history. Things happen in heaven. Things change in heaven. But the big change is coming when the angel announces to John that somebody has been found. They've searched heaven. They've searched the earth. They've searched under the earth looking for somebody who is worthy to open the book and have found no one. But while John is lamenting over these unfulfilled prophecies, over these unfulfilled, over the unfulfilled conquest, one of the ancient ones calls him and tells him that somebody has been found. There is a Davidic king, a lion, a root of David has been found. He has overcome. He has overcome and is able and worthy, qualified to take the book and to open 
its seals. Of course, when John looks, he doesn't see a lion. He sees a lamb. A lamb that looks as if it's been slain, but a lamb that is now standing in heaven. In a few words, John captures the paradox of the true Messiah. The true Messiah is the lion of Judah. He is the Davidic king. He's the root of David. He's the ancestor of David. He's the one from whom David comes, even though he's also the one who comes from David. He is uh, truly the king. But he is the king as a lamb. He's the lamb who has been slain and now stands, stands with resurrection life, stands in his ascension, stands in heaven. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah, but he's also the lamb who's given himself for the sins of the world, who's given himself to purchase from the world men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. It's Jesus' death. It's his slaughter that qualifies him as the lamb that makes him the lion who can uh, open the book and unleash all of its contents. Somebody has been found to fulfill that role, a new Moses, a new Joshua, a new Josiah who's going to break all the idols. A king has been found. And as soon as the king's presence is announced, the worship of heaven begins to change. Suddenly everybody's got a harp. They didn't have harps before. Sometime while John's attention was distracted over to the lamb, the lion, somebody passed out harps. Instead of saying their worship, they begin to sing, and they sing a new song. The one on the throne is no longer the sole object of worship. Now they're worshiping the one on the throne and the lamb. Now they're not only saying, worthy are you, God on the throne, Father on the throne, but they are saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Jesus becomes an object of worship and an object of sung worship. It's a small repetition of what happens when David takes the throne. The first David. When the first David took the throne, he organized the Levites and the priests to create a choir and an orchestra. When kings come, then the music starts. Not only on earth, but also in heaven. When the king comes and takes the book, when the lion lamb from the tribe of Judah, the the true Davidic king, comes and takes the book, then music begins. Musical instruments and song fill heaven. And now they have bowls of incense, verse 8 tells us of chapter 5. Golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Now the prayers of the saints come to heaven in a way they hadn't before. Now that the lamb is there, the prayers of the saints don't hit the bottom of the firmament. They don't bounce off the sky. Now that there's an intercessor in heaven, now that there's a priest in heaven, a slain and standing lamb, now our prayers get through to heaven. Heaven has a history. Heaven has a history. There's a a dragon in heaven uh, in the Old Covenant. There's a Satan, an accuser in heaven in the Old Covenant. When the Lord gathers together the sons of God in the book of Job, Satan is in the midst of them, but no longer. The dragon has been tossed from heaven, and instead the lion lamb of Judah is on the throne, and the prayers of the saints now ascend. What John is seeing in Revelation 5 is the ascension, the ascension of Jesus from the perspective of heaven. He's seeing something that no human being saw when it actually happened. He's living after the ascension, 
but he's taken in vision back to the time before the ascension, before the Lamb is there, and he sees what it's like in heaven for the Lamb to ascend. He was among the eleven who were standing on the mountain when Jesus disappeared behind a cloud, like the Son of Man rising on the clouds, like a high priest entering into the most holy place on the Day of Atonement. He was there on earth watching Ascension Day, watching the ascension of Jesus from the earth, but now in vision he's able to see it from heaven too. And it looks like the appearance of a lamb taking a book so that all that the book represents can be initiated, so Torah can be unleashed, so the conquest can begin, so that all of the idols can be destroyed. He's seeing Ascension Day from the perspective of heaven, but he's also seeing Ascension Day as the prelude to Pentecost. When John first enters heaven, he sees torches before the throne of God, torches before the throne of the Father, seven lamps burning, which are the seven spirits of God. But now that the Lamb has ascended, those torches, those seven spirits, are no longer in front of the throne. Rather, they become the eyes of the Lamb. The Lamb has seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. The Lamb, I think verse 6 tells us, has become the throne. In the Old Covenant, the Lord was enthroned on cherubim. Cherubim with four faces, the face of an ox, the face of a lion, the face of an eagle, and the face of a man. And now in place of those four-faced cherubim, we have a lion lamb, the king, Jesus, as the throne of God. And the torches that were burning before the throne now become his eyes, the eyes of the Spirit. If you have eyes that are also torches, it makes it easy to see in the dark. You don't need a flashlight because your eyes function as the flashlight. You can see into dark corners. You can see everything. In the Bible, eyes are organs of judgment, discernment, but also judgment. The Lord judges with his eyes because his eyes flash out in anger, in wrath against his enemies. If you have eyes like fire, then you could give people really serious, a really serious glare. You could really do some damage by looking at them. That's what the Lamb has now. He's been given the seven spirits of God. His eyes are like flames of fire so that he can see into dark places. He can see and judge everything. And his sight is also a carrying out of that judgment because his eyes are fire. And verse 6 also tells us that the seven spirits of God, which are now the eyes of the Lamb, are sent out into all the earth. The Lamb has ascended. The Lamb is in heaven. The Lamb has taken the book. He is the throne. And now the spirit that he's received is going to be sent out into the earth as it was at Pentecost. That's what Peter said on the day of Pentecost. What you're seeing, he said, is the gift of the Son, of the Father to the Son, now being sent out to us. Jesus, whom you crucified, has been raised from the dead. He's gone into heaven. The Father has given him the spirit, and that spirit he now pours out on us. Heaven has a history. Heaven is not always a permanent place of perfection. Heaven begins in John's vision without a lamb, with a sealed book. Heaven is not a timeless state of calm. Heaven, rather, is the place where things happen first. It's not the place where nothing ever happens. Heaven is the place where things happen first. 
the lamb isn't yet acknowledged as king throughout the creation. There are lots of places in this world on earth where people don't sing the praises of the lamb, don't sing the worthiness of the lamb. But here in our gathered worship, as we come into the heavenly places, as Pastor Lust said at the beginning, here the lamb is praised. His worthiness is praised. Heaven is the place where things happen first. And every time we gather for worship, we join with heaven. Here is the place where things happen first. The Father is not enthroned everywhere. He's enthroned in heaven, but he's not acknowledged as the king. But someday his throne is going to crash through the firmament, shatter the firmament, and he's going to establish his kingdom fully on earth. And the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. Heaven is where things happen first. A little, a little later this morning, we're going to join together to celebrate the Lord's Supper, a foretaste of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Heaven and our heavenly worship is where things happen first. Someday, the world will be a place of worship, and our worship is a foretaste. Every time we gather together in worship, we're getting a glimpse of the ultimate future of everything. We're getting a taste of the ultimate future of all things. Paul tells us to set our heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the God, uh, right hand of God. He's not telling us that we should ignore things of the earth. We should instead set our hearts on things that are above because the place above heaven is where the future is being realized first. And when we set our hearts on things above, we're setting our hearts on things that are yet to come. We're walking by faith rather than by sight. We are the people of the future. We are the citizens of heaven, the citizens of the place where things happen first. And so on this Ascension Day, as we anticipate Pentecost, set your hearts on things above. Set your heart on things ahead. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray together. Almighty God, our Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, that he has ascended, that he has overcome, and has now ascended into the heavens and has taken the book and now reigns at your right hand, that he's unleashed all that was in the book, and he is the new Moses, the new Joshua, the king, the Davidic king on your throne. We pray that you would make us disciples of Jesus, that we would be followers of the Lamb, so that we would overcome as he has done, and we would share in your heavenly rule. We pray this for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.